You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Morning, church. My name's Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Hill City Church. Today, we're talking about worry. Don't worry. Easier said than done. Correct? Uh, Knowing that I was preaching on this topic, uh, in addition to doing my regular Bible study uh, in preparation, I also went to Google and just looked up some statistics. I came across uh, one particular study that was released in October uh, 2020 by the American Psychological Association, and its title is Stress in America 2020, National Mental Health Crisis. And I thought about sharing some of those statistics with you, a bunch of facts and figures and charts to convince you, which many experts would agree, that the United States of America is one of the top countries, if not the worst country, that struggles with mental health in the entire world. I thought about doing that, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and, uh, and that's because I don't think you need to be convinced, do you? This is something that, statistically speaking, one out of every three people in this room probably are dealing with today, mental health struggles. And uh, it's something we feel, we experience, we deal with, some of us, on a daily basis. And so instead of facts and figures, I thought of something a little bit more fun. Have you heard of the, the Mr. Men or the Little Miss children's book series? You heard of that before? Okay. There's a British author named Roger Hargreaves. And he, really, he came up with these two uh, incredibly popular children's book series. I wasn't aware of it. I didn't read these growing up. Uh, but then I moved to Australia as a 16-year-old, and they're everywhere. They're like, you know, Curious George. They're incredibly popular for uh, children, and it kind of has this pop culture following with T-shirts and that sort of thing. Recently, you might have seen these online. It's kind of a trending meme right now. Anyone? Where you take these little tiny cartoon characters, and you replace the name with, like, you know, Mr. Gets Banned from Twitter or Little Miss Wine O'Clock or whatever, right? So what I thought would be fun is these are actual book titles. And what I want to do is you don't have to raise your hand, but just think for a moment about which one you relate to more. So let's do a little fun exercise, a little bit of a self-assessment here. Are you more of a Mr. Worry or a Mr. Calm? Maybe, maybe in general, or maybe even this week, are you more of a Mr. Worry or Mr. Calm? How about Little Miss? Are you more of a Little Miss busy, running around everywhere, endless to-do list? Are you Little Miss Sunshine, just radiates off you that you're doing well? Are you more of a Mr. Nervous or Mr. Cool, right? Maybe not necessarily like cool as in relevant, but you're, you're, you're calm, you're cool, collected. Would you describe yourself as a Little Miss Late or Little Miss Giggles, and I, I admit, you can be both, you know, you can be late and be happy and joking around about it, but, uh, but just think about that for a moment. Some of us tend to be a little bit more wound tight, or we use the, the phrase high strung. I, just to be honest, I tend to be one of those people. Uh, from a very young age, I've experienced stress headaches, like four or five year old. I, I, I just have one of those, like all the different personality type tests that you can do. I'm one of those types that tends to see the negative, that tends to be critical, analytical. 
I have a hard time forgetting things, which is a strength if you want to memorize things, but it's really a weakness when it comes to forgetting difficult things and pain. Uh, you know, we think about, you know, where do you feel stress? Maybe you've thought about that before. I get, I get like everything. I get like the headaches, the eye twitch, I get the tight neck, you know, like every, everything you can imagine. I tend to be one of those people. And uh, maybe you can relate. Maybe you're like me. You have the curse, right? You're like me. But the reality is, even if you're not, even if you're more laid back with your personality type, all it takes is one bad day or one bad week. All it takes is your circumstances to actually take you from being Mr. Calm or Little Miss Sunshine to being Mr. Worry. All of us deal with this. All of us deal with these kinds of struggles. Before we jump into our text from Matthew chapter 6, which this is, you know, people ask, what's your life verse? I don't know. I like the whole Bible, right? I love so many different passages, but this one, Matthew chapter 6, which is a hallmark teaching in the entire Bible on worry and stress and anxiety, has been one of those passages that has especially spoken to me and helped me for years in my life. And so in some ways, I'm not the perfect person to be preaching on this because I, I still to this day, you know, str- I, I'm dealing with a stress headache today that's going on four days right now. Right before I got up, I felt the little eye twitch, right? But at the same time, I truly believe I've experienced healing and help and peace from the Holy Spirit in my life. And I want to share some of that uh, with you today. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. But before we jump in, I just, I just want to give kind of one clarification. Because the reality is, there's all sorts of secular wisdom and treatment when it comes to mental health problems. And in no way is what I'm going to say today in any effort trying to undermine you know, uh, any of that, right? Seeing a counselor, uh, medication, mindfulness, breathing exercises, none of that, right? So, so I'm not really going to talk about that sort of stuff because I'm going to be quoting Jesus, and that's not really how he pres- you know, prescribes to be healed from this stuff. But, but in no way, I'm not, you know, I've seen a counselor myself. And, uh, and it's been incredibly helpful for my own mental health and that sort of thing. However, here's what I would say. A tendency that I notice from Christians is being very quick to run to secular wisdom to solve these kinds of problems and totally neglecting the spiritual aspect. And I'm in no way trying to over-spiritualize mental health struggles. Right? I, I, I want to just acknowledge that. But we must be cautious lest we under-spiritualize and miss out on perhaps maybe the largest component that has to deal with uh, our mental health struggles. Jesus says, he tells us, don't worry. But he doesn't just tell us to do it, he teaches us how. Let's jump into the text, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So what we have to admit right away is that this passage, the section we're going through today, which is a a bit of a lengthy teaching, it actually follows immediately from the previous section. 
There's that word therefore, right? And so Jesus is, is the, the, the logic of thought follows from a teaching on materialism, essentially, right? Last week's teaching on treasure and not you know, serving money, but serving God instead. So, so really, Jesus has a specific kind of worry in mind, and we have to admit and acknowledge that. The specific kind of worry that Jesus has in mind is worry relating to your physical existence, Worry relating to what we might call the concerns of the world. Jesus addresses this in a parable, Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the seeds. And some seeds were sown on soil with thorns. You remember that? And weeds that choked out the gospel being planted deep in that person's life. Look at how Jesus describes the thorns. Matthew 13, 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. That's the kind of worry that Jesus is addressing in Matthew chapter 6. He's talking about the concerns of the world. According to, I I said I wasn't going to give you some statistics. Here's just two statistics, okay, from that survey. You can read that whole uh, PDF survey uh, later. But 64% of Americans say that money is a significant source of stress in their life. So two-thirds, two out of every three people in this room, you're probably worried about money, worried about paying the bills. 52% of people experience negative financial impacts due to the pandemic. That survey was released in October 2020. Do you think that's gotten better or worse? obviously worse, right? I would be shocked if the stats have gotten better as far as Americans struggling with with bills and recession and economy and gas prices. Uh, You see it everywhere. It's almost in every conversation that that you overhear, right? And so this is a primary. You You could look at this. Money. It's a primary thing that we are struggling with, we are worried about. Here's how you can say this point that Jesus is making. Worldliness leads to worry. Worldliness leads to worry. And when I say worldliness, I, I'm not talking necessarily, uh, the, you know, this person who's living a life of luxury and they're kind of, you know, neglecting the poor. Certainly that, that could include that person, someone who's too materialistic, too consumeristic. You know, the, the, we think that the more you have, the less you'll have to worry about. I would argue the more you have, the more you have to worry about. Because now you're worried about storing the more that you have. And upgrading the more that you have, and ensuring the more that you have, and got to get, you know, got to take care of the boat, and got to take care of this, got to take care of that. But the reality is, this affects all people. People who don't have enough are worried about where their next meal is coming from, next month's rent is coming from. People who are in the middle somewhere are worried about climbing that ladder and getting to the next level, and then they'll have more, so they don't have to worry. But then they, they get more, and they have more to worry about, right? It's a, there's like, there's no perfect position to be in when it comes to the worldliness. And when I say worldliness, I mean being overly concerned about this present age, about this present lifetime, about the, the, the age that we live in. Life is more than materialism. Life is so much more than the things that we have. That's Jesus's point here. Isn't your life more than the food that you put in? Isn't your body more than the clothes that you have? And by the way, who gave you the life that you have? Who, who you know, created your body? God did, right? And, and if he did that, why are you worried about these small things that are, are, are important to maintaining those things? But the reality is, while I believe that Jesus's main you know, type of worry he's addressing is worldliness, we might just say money, uh, 
money for many of us is just one of the many areas that actually causes us concern, is it not? And so what I want to introduce you to is an illustration I call the problem of plates, okay? So if you think about the different areas of your life as a plate, you've been to a busy restaurant before, anyone? One of the most heartbreaking sounds, by the way, is the waiter, you know, they, they've got all the stuff, right? So we've got all these different areas of our lives, and each one is a plate, okay? So you have money, you've got relationships, this is your family, this is your friends, this is your social life, you've got work, Right? This could be work that you do for a job. It could be schoolwork. It could be even the work that you do to take care of your house, to uh, take care of your kids. Then you have fun, right? recreation, entertainment, Netflix, all that sort of stuff. You've got health, getting enough sleep, brushing your teeth, flossing. right? All, remember floss? Is there any other areas that we should be thinking about? What about Jesus? Come on, people. right? It's like one of the last plates or areas that we tend to think about. And so what ends up happening is we do this. We take all these plates, like a waiter, and we try to see how many can we balance at one time. And I, I tried this earlier. We'll see if I can get as many as I did, right? So you got your health, you got your fun, you got your work. Oh, man. You got your relationships. And then let's say you got money. Oh, I forgot Jesus. Let me just grab Jesus. Oh, no, oh. And we do this. And does that not accurately describe how we are dealing with our lives, our modern life? And even, I'll say this, that's six different plates. I got five, consistently I can do five. But you add a sixth one, and the Jesus one, you know, no surprise, was the last one to get added, and often that's the first one to get dropped. And even, I'll pick these up so I don't accidentally break them later. These are church property, by the way. Uh, even if you're really good at balancing, and that's what we, you know, we read books, how to get more effective at time management, which essentially is how do you balance the plates better? And maybe you can balance six plates. I can't. You're better than me in that way. Sometimes there's a seventh plate that comes around, isn't there? Just the random problem. This week, I would actually, you could wipe this off, put baby spiders on this plate for me. I'm literally, I'm, I'm writing a sermon on anxiety. Don't worry, stay calm. I get a phone call from my wife. I'm freaking out, there's baby spiders everywhere. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> don't worry, <laughs> you know? It's like, doesn't really help in that situation. And so, but even if you're really, and apparently like, there was like, literally like 20 baby spiders all like a, eggs hatched. I don't know what happened. Uh, but that happens to you, doesn't it? You, ha you finally got the perfect balance, and then someone hands you another plate, and the car broke down, or it's tax season, or whatever, right? And, and each plate gets heavier depending on you know, what you're going through at any given moment. And eventually, all of us end up dropping the plates. And it's that heartbreaking sound of an entire tray of food that somebody's waited 45 minutes to get shattering. Don't worry. Let's continue through our text. Matthew chapter 26. I promise you, Jesus is going to give us practical wisdom to how to handle the problem of plates. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Verse 26. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Two weeks ago, I was praying through this text. I was sitting in a hammock outside, which is, by the way, that's just like a great way to practice what you preach. Teach people how to not worry. I'm in a hammock, and a hummingbird flies 12 inches from my face and is just like staring me in the eyes. And I'm like, (laughs) consider the birds of the air. And I'm just praying through this. Maybe Jesus didn't have a hummingbird in mind, but I was like, that's it. I'm using a hummingbird for the illustration. But when Jesus says, consider the birds of the air, really what he means is like, really think about them. Really think about them. Uh, Bible scholar, you know, all-time great preacher John Stott was literally a bird watcher. So this is like one of his favorite passages. He's like, oh, I'm considering them with my binoculars, right? But really think about them. So let's think about a hummingbird. Hummingbirds don't gather food and store it. They don't go to the grocery store. That's silly, right? And yet, they're not concerned that when they're flying around, that they're going to be able to find a flower or a bug or something else that they can eat. And Jesus is saying, when you think about how much God cares about birds, do you think he cares more or less about you? He cares more about you. He cares more about you. Now, we have to be careful here because if you think about a hummingbird, a hummingbird doesn't wake up in the morning, lay down on its back and open its mouth and wait for nectar to drip into it, does it? It's flying around. It's darting here and there and everywhere. I did a little bit of hummingbird research this week. The North American hummingbird, the wings, beat an average of 53 times per second. Have you heard hummingbird wings? Right? Birds don't worry, but they also work. And Jesus says don't worry. He doesn't say don't work. He doesn't say sit around and just expect that God's going to spoon feed you in your life. By the way, a hummingbird's heartbeat can beat up to 1,260 beats per minute. Whoa, that's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work. And so the reality is, I mean, you know, even the Israelites, when they received literal manna from heaven, who went out and gathered the manna? They did. They were commanded to go and gather, right? And so we have this balance. Here's how I would describe this. Here's the point. Do what you can do and pray about what only God can do. Do what you can do, and there may be things that you're worried about, plates that you have, where you're worried about it, but you actually have the power to do something, and God is trying to tell you, do something about it. I mean, how often have you experienced this? Oh, the house is a mess. Man, it's stressing me out. Netflix. Just be honest. There's like procrastination and laziness adds to our worry and our anxiety. And to, to use maybe a more personal example, how many times has this happened? It wasn't something as simple as like, it's okay if your house is messy. No judgment for me, okay? But how, how much has this happened? where you had a conflict with someone or a bad interaction with someone and it ate you up inside and it's causing you stress and anxiety and instead of dealing with it, you're distracting yourself. You're avoiding it. 
In fact, there are moments where our bodies are actually trying to tell us to motivate us to, to do something about it, to, to motivate us to action. And we're going to pray, God, take away the anxiety I feel about this bad relationship with a person, and God's saying, be reconciled with that person. Right? Does that make sense? Do what you can do. And if there's something that God is calling you to do about it, if there's at all power or control, be like that hummingbird. The hummingbird's not worried about where its next meal is coming from, but you better believe it's out there looking for it. But then the reality is there's all sorts of other problems, and I would say these are the problems that are especially difficult for us to deal with that we don't have control over. We don't have any power, it seems like. It's out of our hands, and those are the things that are incredibly frustrating. They keep us up at night because we can't do anything about it. What do you do in those situations? You do what you can do, and then you pray. Everyone say pray about what only God can do. It'd be silly to preach a sermon on worry without referencing Philippians 6. Philippians 6, or Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, excuse me. Paul writes to the church, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, everyone say everything, you can substitute everything you're worried about, as often as you're worried about it, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Man, if you deal with worry, memorize those two verses. Memorize those two verses and recite those things. What I pray for my daughters when they're having trouble sleeping at night, I ask God that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard their heart and minds in Christ Jesus. And I can tell you, there's times where that's the only thing that's getting those girls to bed. The peace of God. You want to know why Paul describes the peace of God as a peace which surpasses or transcends understanding? This doesn't make any sense. You might as well call it the peace that doesn't make any sense. Because for some of us, what we've done is we're praying that God would solve our problem. And we should. We should pray that God solves our problem, whatever problem that might be, especially the problems that you don't have any control over. If you're praying and you're praying about something that God's actually asked you to be obedient to do something about, maybe just stop praying and do that thing, right? Do what you can do and then pray about what only God can do. But you're praying and it's something you, you've tried. You've sought God. You, you, you've asked for help. But it, the problem persists. The peace that surpasses understanding means that you can have peace before the problem is solved. You can be still and know that he is God, though the mountains give way and fall into the heart of the sea, right? Though the oceans rage. Psalm 46, right? Read Psalm 46. It's this phenomenal promise. The peace that surpasses understanding is is the reality and an acknowledgement that your peace primarily comes from God's presence, not the absence of your problems. I'll say that again. It's not in my sermon. Jot this down. Your peace primarily comes from God's presence, not the absence of problems. And some of us are actually preventing ourselves from experiencing the peace of God because we've resolved in our heart, I will not have peace while this problem persists. And what God is asking you to do is to trust to trust and to experience the peace that surpasses understanding, and that will guard. Think about that. It's like we'll set up a defense in your soul from anxiety and worry and stress. This is what I mean when I say, how much have we totally neglected the spiritual aspect of this conversation? I mean, God's peace, it's not going to make any sense because the problem isn't solved yet. 
See, worry, Jesus says, it's not gonna lengthen your life. Literally, he says it won't add 18 inches. It won't add a cubit to your life. But that's just a way of saying, it's not, you know, worrying's not gonna lengthen your days. In, in fact, all modern health studies show that worry, you know, contributes to a shorter lifespan. And what Jesus is asking us to do is to trust that God cares about you more than a bird. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? Let's continue through the text. In Matthew chapter six, uh, we're in verse 28. And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Or we might say, O you of little trust. Let's think about flowers. Let's think about wildflowers. Uh, I love hiking, running, mountain biking, and backpacking. And there are moments where you're, you're out there on a trail and you stumble upon a field just in the middle of the forest of wildflowers. And I can tell you, there is a beauty in the wildflowers that is more extravagant than the most expensive wedding bouquet. Have you experienced something like this before? Now, who arranged those flowers? Who bought those and put a ribbon around those? Who planted those seeds and made the flowers grow there, right? Nobody did. And, and, and yet, there's this beauty that surpasses even the most expensive attempts that we have to replicate and recreate that kind of beauty. And the reality is, what, what Jesus is comparing those flowers to is he's comparing those to clothing. And for us, we have a very different approach to clothing than they did in the first century. In the first century, uh, the average person had two sets of clothing, only two, and they were their most expensive possession. Like, if I were to ask you, what's your most expensive possession? Most of us in the room wouldn't say an, an article of clothing, right? But it was, and it genuinely, it was, it was difficult to create clothing. It was very expensive, especially colorful clothing. That was beautiful, right? You know, uh, dyes that colored clothes were very, very expensive, and, and few people could get their hands on them. And this kind of clothing would actually be passed down from generation to generation. It was like, literally, you were left with your parents' clothing. It was, this, it was a big, big deal. So when Jesus is saying people are worried about this, you can, understandably so. I mean, what happens when your clothing starts to rip? What happens if a moth gets to it, right? This is a reminder that this falls right in line with the previous section. Look at what Jesus has described, our treasures on earth in Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. There's a reason why Jesus uses a moth as an example. And the point that Jesus is making is how often are we worried about something that doesn't actually last? That won't persist. We're worried about something that isn't going to last forever. And here's the point for us. Keep an eternal perspective. Keep an eternal perspective. We experience something very similar in Boise as Jesus is describing uh, in Israel. It's this, this idea that April showers bring May flowers and then June brings death. You experience this? Especially July, 106 degrees, right? It's, it's, you know, you go out in the foothills in May or in early June maybe, and it's green and it's lush and there's flowers and it's beautiful. And then the heat burns it all out for the rest of the year. That's what he's describing. He's not necessarily specifically describing lilies, although I love 
lilies, and we named our first daughter Lily because I love this passage, right? It's just this beautiful promise, but he's just talking about wildflowers. They end up fading. Their beauty fades. It's turned into grass, and people would actually harvest dried grass, and they would use it to feed their ovens as fuel for their ovens. How much of the things that we're worried about are actually, in the same way, going to fade? We're worried about something that isn't going to last. This, this past week, uh, my, our family van was in the shop and uh, the tr- had transmission error codes. And it was uh, one of those things where uh, the guy was like, yeah, don't drive it anymore. It needs to come to the shop right away. And that happened while my wife was out of town, actually. So I just, just had the two older kids. And it was this crazy balancing act. How do we get the car there with the car seats? And now we only have one car. And then we pick up my wife from the airport. You can see how worry creep into our lives, right? This van situation, relatable. Anyways, just think about this question. The thing that's causing you so much stress today, will you still be thinking about it in 10 years? I guarantee I'm not thinking about our Toyota Toyota Sienna in 10 years from now. Hopefully we will have sold it and have a different vehicle by that point in time. Okay. And and all the best to whoever buys the Sienna, but (laughs) hopefully I don't have it in 10 years. And and just run, run your worry, your concern, the thing that's bothering you through that simple question to check it. This will help keep an eternal perspective. Will you still be worried about X, Y, and Z in 10 years? And if you really think about that for more than a moment, you're like, actually, no. And if it's a no, then stop worrying about it, right? Keep that eternal perspective. And and then maybe you're like, well, actually, I I might be. The thing that I'm worried about now is a very serious thing. It's a life-threatening thing. It's It's grief or loss or it's a bad diagnosis. Ask yourself this next question. Will you be still worried about that thing in 10,000 years? 10,000 years. If you have faith in Jesus, you want to know where you will be in 10,000 years from now? You'll be in the throne room of God. You'll be worshiping. You'll be experiencing everlasting joy in, in the most full sense that you can even imagine right now. Probably not. The van, the minivan, 10,000 years, not a chance, right? And you ask yourself, and even in, this is, the hope of heaven is like one of the only things that can allow you to face a life-threatening disease or some of the most terrible situations to mankind, the hope of heaven is one of the only things that can allow you to have the peace that surpasses understanding. Because you understand, you understand that this life has a deadline, that there's a limit to the days that, that all of us will live here on this earth. But if you have a hope that surpasses this lifespan, you will have a peace you can experience even now. It's a beautiful promise. Jesus is coming back and he will make all things new. And even, I mean, even Solomon, in all of his glory and all of his splendor and all of his riches, he died, as all of us will. And we can experience that future hope even now as we trust in God. Let's continue. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat, and what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is, this is what it really comes down to. I mean, often, how much do we want tips and tricks, what Jesus is telling us to trust? Seek first the kingdom. Here's the point. When you care about God's kingdom, God takes care of you. 
When you care about God's kingdom, God takes care of you. And Jesus is, is, is contrasting uh, the Gentiles, people who don't have a faith in the one true God. And they're running around this world trying to provide for their needs and get the transmission fixed on their van and you know, pay the bills and whatever else, kill the baby spiders and all these things. And those are legitimate problems, right? But they're running around thinking only about this lifetime and, and maximizing comfort and happiness and minimizing stress and problems. And they're doing all of that sort of stuff. But what Jesus is telling us to do is to seek his kingdom when? First. Everyone say first. First things first. Jesus says, God's kingdom. What's that last plate we often try to add to our already busy, hectic lives? It's Jesus, right? Maybe, maybe God's kingdom, if I can manage, if I can balance. First things first, Jesus says. And the reality is people who are running around their lives here in this present age. They're worried about all these worldly things that, like the flowers of the field, are here today and they're gone tomorrow, aren't actually worried about the thing that matters most. Where will they be in 10,000 years? Do they have an eternal kind of hope? And I'm here to tell you today, today, if you do not yet have a, a faith in Jesus Christ, you can receive a whole lot more than some tips and tri tricks for managing anxiety and dealing with stress. Today, you can receive a kind of comfort and a kind of peace that you know you will be with God forever. You will live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. You can experience that because Jesus not only told us not to worry. You want to know how he has substantiated this? How he provided this hope? Is he himself went to the cross. He died for our sins. He faced the wrath of God. I mean, that's something that honestly should be worrying to you. If you don't have the, the hope of Jesus Christ in the gospel, you should be worried that every, everyone will stand before him as a righteous judge one day. That's something that should be very concerning to you if you do not have an answer to the question, who is Jesus Christ? But Jesus faced that for you, the punishment and the penalty. He died on the cross. He rose again in victory so that we might be raised up into a new life. And today can be the day that you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And, and I promise, I'm not trying to scare you or manipulate you. I, I, we know it's difficult. We know in this world we will have trouble, but everlasting, eternal kind of hope. And I'm telling you today, the Holy Spirit is calling you to salvation is drawing you to salvation so that today, I, I, I pray that you don't just have another breathing technique or a mindfulness app. Today, you can have an eternal kind of peace, eternal kind of peace to face whatever life has to throw at you. Would today be the day that you say yes to Jesus? Would you pray and ask God to forgive your sin and lead your life? And one of the, most, the things that brings me the most joy is seeing people declare their faith in Jesus through baptism through baptism. And it's, it's one of those things that Jesus himself in Matthew 16 says this, Matthew 16, 26. He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Let's say you, you, you manage the balancing act. You, you live the American dream, which according to the stats actually tends to be more like the American nightmare. But you accomplish it. You rise above the statistics. And you get everything you want in this world. And you get ease, and you get comfort, and you get happiness, and you become wealthy and successful. And check the boxes. All your list comes true. 
but you don't have that eternal hope of heaven. Jesus is saying, what does it profit a man? If you gain all that, you can, man, you can balance the plates, but you forfeit your soul. And uh, one of the things that's given me the most joy is just seeing people respond to the gospel this year. And uh, on Tuesday, we had two more people do that through baptism. We had two more people. Can we celebrate? <laughs> Down at the river, Michael. Michael got baptized, and that's his dad who, on the spot, made a decision uh, to get baptized and declare his faith. And, and I just want to invite you to put your full trust in Jesus. I mean, this isn't tips and tricks. This is trust. Do you trust Christ Jesus as Lord? And uh, we're all going down to the river the first Sunday in September. And we're, we're going to do church in the park, Labor Day weekend. And I want to invite you to come out to that. But I want to invite you specifically, if you've never been baptized, if you do believe Christ Jesus is Lord and you've never been baptized, I want to invite you to get baptized on Labor Day weekend at the park. You can go to hillcityboise.org slash baptisms. You can sign up there. Or maybe today. Today's the day that, that after service you can come forward and receive prayer from a member of our prayer team and you can ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior today. All right, back to the plates, all right? Back to the plates. We've got this problem of plates. I want to solve it for us. The, the, the reality is we've got, we've got all these kind of problems, right? And we've got relationships. And we've got work. And we've got all these different kind of things. Here's what Jesus is saying. When he says, seek first, the solution is not to get better at balancing. The solution to the problem of plates is stacking, okay? Solution is stacking. First things first. We're going to put Jesus right there foundation cornerstone of our lives okay prioritize god's kingdom you know and you look at you know the next things right what would be what would be kind of like the next things that's most i got it sorry i got it these are not in order in any way up here i would say you put people next you put your family you put i mean what's going to last forever you're not going to be working your same job forever right you're going to be you're not going to have your wells fargo bank account forever the people in your life, your family, you know, discipleship of your kids, your marriage, your, your friendships. And then, you know, probably, it's just kind of like a little bit more optional. Maybe, I mean, you do have a job to do. Do it well. Uh, floss your teeth. Do the health thing. You know, f money or fun. It, I don't know. We'll put fun before money. I don't know. That's how I do it. Prioritize God's kingdom is the most important thing. Here's the point. You put Jesus first, and the rest is going to stack up. The rest is going to add up. You don't put Jesus first, there ain't, no, ain't no way that's going to work, right? It's going to be fighting against the grain every step of the way to try and, it, you're going to be on your own doing a balancing act, but you put Jesus first. This isn't a blanket promise that you'll get every prayer request that you pray, right? When he says all the rest will be added to you, he's saying the rest of your life will follow. Even the problems, right? Even the problems will fall into place as you seek first the kingdom of heaven and the righteousness. I mean, the times when you're dealing with problems, that's the times we've got to be consistent and faithful in our prayer. We've got to be in the word, reminding ourselves of the truth. We've got to be, I mean, just, just at, like worshiping with other believers, listening to the encouraging sound of the saints, singing and praising God, right? Put first things first. I mean, let's not let Jesus be the first plate that drops off the wayside. And then the second practice that I would say is we've got to simplify your life. Simplify your life. I mean, 
one of, the, one of the things that I think we do so often is we go to God in prayer and we say, God, I'm carrying all these really heavy burdens. Well, what's, the, what's the deal with that thing, Jesus, that promise from Matthew 11? Your yoke is easy, your burden is light. Why does my life seem so heavy? And I wonder how much Jesus is saying, why are you carrying these things that I never asked you to carry? Legitimately. I mean, how much of the time are, are we worried and concerned with things that Jesus is actually asking us to set aside, to step aside, to simplify, right? If you've got both your hands on God's kingdom, you've got both your hands on living a righteous life, living in, in the right way before him, and, and he's gonna stack up the rest, sometimes there's moments where you can, I mean, delete that app. Stop wasting so much time on social media. Maybe that's the thing that's actually causing you more stress in your life. I mean, entertainment, fun, if we're honest, that's like close to the close to the foundation for many Americans. I mean, you could just spend less time doing that. I mean, what are, what, are, what are the things, what are the burdens that you're carrying, the relationships in your life that they're actually, if you're honest, they're more drains than gains. You need to put more limits or boundaries on who you let in your life, who you have a voice, who you, you let speak into your world. What are the things that Jesus is actually saying to you, I never asked you to carry that? and you simplify your schedule. You start saying no to a lot more things, and you start saying yes to the most important things. So we're gonna prioritize God's kingdom, and then you're gonna simplify your life. All right, one more verse from Matthew chapter six. End of the chapter, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So. Jesus does not give us this overly optimistic, I mean, this is kind of a mic drop way to end a teaching on worry. Oh, by the way, there's a lot of problems tomorrow, <laughs> right? So Jesus doesn't give us this pie in the sky, overly optimistic, kind of surface level, shallow, superficial, don't worry because it will work out tomorrow. The van's still in the shop tomorrow, right? There's still, we haven't gotten to the bottom of the spider situation, just to be honest with you. But here's the thing, you've got today's problems, and then you've got tomorrow's problems. And what we, what we try and do is we don't only try to carry today's problems, we carry tomorrow's problems too. Proverbs 27, one, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what it may bring. Again, it's not this kind of hallmark greeting card. Tomorrow's gonna be great, rainbows. You know, it's like butterfly. It's, don't worry about tomorrow because it actually might have hardship, right? Might have tribulation. But here's what we do. Here's a math equation to help us remember this. You have today's trouble plus tomorrow's trouble equals, everyone say it, Double trouble. How do you avoid being in double trouble? You stop trying to solve tomorrow's problems today. You know, there's this, there's this kind of misunder, misunderstood Bible verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where people kind of take this principle, which, which I think is a misinterpretation of the text. I mean, good, good exegesis, good Bible study matters, where they say, God will never give you more than you can handle. I'm like, yeah, right. Have you lived one day on planet Earth? It says he will, he will never allow you to be tempted more than you can overcome. Well, how do we overcome temptation? We depend on him. And I think God consistently gives us more than we can handle so that we would seek his kingdom first, so that Jesus Christ would be the cornerstone, so that we would depend on him. So here's the point. Depend on God each and every day. 
And there's a tension here. We want to keep an eternal perspective, but we want to live in the present every single day. God gave you the breath in your lungs today. And how many of the problems, if you were to be honest, would be totally eliminated if you just stopped worrying about imaginary hypothetical futures? Just be honest for a moment. I mean, tomorrow's problems, the stack of plates is probably 10 times this high in our minds at least. You're imagining what, you know, every possibility that could go wrong. I mean, that's why people don't deal with conflict. In their minds, it's going to go way worse than it actually does. And, and so, so we think about these imaginary, you know, hypothetical kind of futures, and what God is asking you to do is just, just depend on him today. And if you're alive, if you're breathing today, and he's going to give you the, the grace to face those things today, don't waste tomorrow's grace on today's problems. Don't waste tomorrow's grace on today's problems. One last uh, passage from scripture I just want to use to encourage you is Lamentations chapter 3, 22 to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Lamentations, but it's a book called Lamentations. It's written by Jeremiah, likely whose another you know, nickname is the weeping prophet, a man who was well acquainted with, with uh, troubles and sorrows. He saw Jerusalem being torn down in the beginning of the Babylonian exile, which will go down in history as one of the darkest moments for the Israelite people, one of the worst moments in their entire history. And in chapter three, after all, it's like songs that you would sing at a funeral for a loved one who died when the city was attacked and they were killed. And this is some of the most devastating uh, kind of loss and worry, the kind of things that honestly most of us will never have to deal with, something that that dark. And I know like 2022 America is not like a walk in the park, okay? But this is like true just grief. The steadfast love of the Lord is new every single day. His mercies are new every single morning. And Jesus tells us on, on the foundation of that, on our trust in God's goodness and his love, that today has trouble and tomorrow has trouble too. But God's mercies will meet you tomorrow. And though sorrow lasts through the night, his joy comes in the morning. Let's stand for worship. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.